Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Harwin's on the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And we're growing every week. The NHL and NBA moving forward. Football as well. All kinds of football across the pond internationally. Esports picking up. We'll have somebody speaking very directly about that later in the podcast. But Let's deal with the business and deal-making issues. Three to one. Three. Thursday night football ratings been through the roof this season. The broadcast averaging about 14.2 million viewers, a 26% increase over week seven of 2020, according to the NFL. Thursday night's games up significantly from previous week's coverage, marking the highest rating in viewership from four weeks. The Packers beating the Cardinals. Cardinals previously undefeated one of the biggest games heading into the rest of the NFL season, which will be quite significant as far as deal-making issues and positive ratings are concerned. Two. How about number two? Colorado records its highest ever month for sports betting. Department of Revenue released record-shattering numbers from September's gaming reports. September had the state's highest total handle, highest amount paid to bettors, and the highest amount ever bet on football. And bettors in Colorado placed about $408 million worth of wagers in September. And since sports betting began in Colorado in May of 2020, no month has ever seen more action. September's total twice the handle from August, and $81 million more than the next highest betting month, January 2021. $123 million total. The amount of money bet on professional football in September outpaced any other month. One. How about number one? Six clubs in German top-flight soccer's Bundesliga partnered with Australian-based foreign exchange platform IC Markets for next season. The deals all brokered by Sport5 marketing agency. IC Markets add Bayer Leverkusen, Hertha Berlin, Augsburg, and two other, and even one more than that, team with its portfolio of sponsorships. The partnerships, the foreign exchange brokers first in German soccer, See IC Markets gain LED perimeter production promotion during game. And the company is looking to raise its profile in Germany as one of its key European territories. The brand also recently agreed to a partnership with esports organization OG Sports and held sleeve sponsorship deals with Italian soccer giants Inter Milan and Premier League's Newcastle during the 2020-2021 season. Big-time dollars, big-time revenues. Esports, obviously one piece that we take for granted. It is one of the fastest-growing components. That, cryptocurrency, other media deals, compose a substantial part of the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Let's focus primarily on those areas. Bobby Sharma, special advisor to the Foley and Lardner Law Firm, but also the Sports Entertainment Group. has been a market leader in sports and entertainment law, leveraging the team of industry insiders and seasoned practitioners 
recognized as one of the preeminent legal practices in the country, focusing on all aspects of the business. But specifically, Bobby will talk to us about the growth of esports as well as other areas. His background is from IMG and NBA and other aspects of the business. He can give us valuable perspective on all areas of growth. Here's Bobby Sharma. A lot to talk about today, but before we do, uh, give the listeners a little bit of an idea of your kind of background and how you're kind of specially qualified to talk about this whole world of, uh, of uh, you know, newfangled sports business, let's say. The two-minute uh, background version, I suppose, is I am a longtime sports attorney. I uh, started uh, in the sports world uh, in 2002 with the NBA, where I was for nine years. Spent four years at IMG subsequent and have done a mix of M&A and private equity and now come full circle with uh, legal practice again uh, at, uh, at Foley and Lardner. So um, I, uh, in that capacity of sort of uh, uh, M&A advisor and legal advisor and private equity uh, partner, I'm constantly on top of deal flow, and a lot of it is obviously centered around the rights holders and franchises and leagues and, and that sort of a thing. But uh, really, as the as the industry's grown, a lot of it's been on the back of new technologies and leveraging things like data to uh, to to make uh, more revenue for existing assets. And in some cases, technology has led to an entirely new assets and, uh, and segments within the industry uh, altogether. So um, I, I guess I'm uniquely qualified in the sense that um, I'm one of the few practicing lawyers who's actually out there uh, doing deals as well. So let's talk about a few aspects of this. Let's lead with esports. Uh, it's been so prolific. Everybody says it's the biggest growth industry. If you were to say 10 years ago that it might be an Olympic sport, people would um, uh, lock you up and throw away the key. Uh, where is it today, and, and why has it gotten so huge, let's say? Well, I'll, I'll start with the second part. So it, it's, it's been huge. It's, it's had an audience that could be measured in the hundreds of millions for, for years now. It's really just about organizing the business uh, on top of it that's been the challenge. Uh, so... Uh, I think it's still true. I think it's still uh, early days in terms of monetizing esports. Its its audience has been measured upwards of five or six hundred million strong, very inherently global, inherently digital, uh, young as you might imagine. Uh, it, very diverse, a lot more diverse than most people would think, um, and uh, increasingly mainstream. So. Uh, but the, it's, it's very unique uh, and different than traditional sports in a lot of ways, uh, one of which happens to be that the IP is actually owned by individual corporations as opposed to um, the public domain. Nobody owns the sport of basketball. If you and I wanted to start a basketball league tomorrow, we could. Uh, but in the case of esports, the most popular sports within it are uh, owned by individual companies that have uh, uh, a very unique power dynamic when it comes to to turning their games into professional sporting competitions and events. And as a guy who makes deals for a living, uh, does that tell you that this wild, wild, wild esports West uh, creates 
mass confusion a unique and seminal opportunity or kind of a combination of the two? I think a combination of the two. I, I, there, there are a lot of businesses out there that um, have, have managed to find their, their corner of the esports world, but even, even at that, the world continues to evolve around them. Um, but uh, it's, it's certainly unique uh, in, in that it, it, it not only hasn't found a sort of final form, and not that it probably ever will, because there's always going to be a new game, right? Like uh, there's always going to be a new Fortnite. Uh, there's always going to be uh, um, uh, a new Counter-Strike. Uh, and, and, and those games that people play today League of Legends has withstood the test of time, but there's no telling. That's the most popular game out there in the esports universe. But there's no telling if it'll be around in 10 years or 20 years, right? Whereas I don't think we have those questions about sports like uh, like baseball or football, what have you. So um, I think, yeah, there's a lot of confusion because of that. There's the, the power dynamics element that, that I mentioned. There's also just a very big cultural gap, I think, between the esports community and culture and mainstream community and culture and they like it that way and and i i think there are some parallels with with traditional sports uh in that um certain certain sports have their own culture within the the, the sport culture so um uh suffice it to say there's there's where their eyeballs on a product there's there is certainly uh, there are certainly opportunities to monetize it and um and even the publishers themselves, the ones who have this amazing amount of power and control uh, within the uh, the esports uh, world, they haven't quite figured it out themselves. As they as they go to market with franchise leagues, in some cases tournaments, and others media products, and others, um, it, they they still seem to be gravitating towards the the central gaming uh, business model, which is where they make most of their money still. Um, with esports having essentially started as a marketing vehicle for them, uh, as opposed to any any sort of revenue center, so um, it's it, it, it's a great question because it is still equal parts confusion and opportunity because of all those things. And the cultural disconnect you talk about uh, back in the leather helmet days when we were growing up. I know we're dating myself anyway. Todd Marinovich gets a football put in his left hand by his dad because that's the way to make money. Today, if you're in the crib, uh, notwithstanding uh, uh, you know everybody's uh, desire to uh, cast a long shot, you're going to have a computer or a video game in your hand because you're the guy that's going to make a billion dollars off of eSport. But yet, mainstream, explain to me why there is such a great opportunity from a team and league level. You were an NBA guy. Why are there so many NBA teams that have a profound interest in esports such that they actually own teams and own franchises and, and, and frankly, are uh, uh, kind of controlling the basketball side of esports uh, today? It's a great question, too. So I think there's often a misperception of professional sports leagues and teams investing in esports, activating in esports. Uh, and I think it's less so that they – that it's an opportunity to create separate value apart from their core properties, more an opportunity to connect with that five or 600 million audience uh, that, that is uh, the esports universe. And it's so important because there is a, a, a massive uh, amount of, uh, of, of that audience that doesn't watch any traditional sports. So, um, and then couple that with the, the, 
fact that most traditional sports leagues don't like to acknowledge, but it's, it's a mathematical fact. Their audiences are aging and shrinking. Um, it's almost an imperative for them to connect with that audience. Well, and let's segue to something that is related because you can lump it in the category of uh, uh, new stuff that really wasn't around a few years ago, although that's kind of hardly a legal distinction. But if I look at the umpires in the World Series again and I see FTX on their uniforms and it's like, what is all that? And then people understand it's the same company that spent $140 million naming the old American Airlines Arena. University of California Stadium and has now bought five and a half million dollars of Super Bowl ads for a 30-second spot. How does crypto tie into all of this? We know that there are major companies that are investing a significant amount of money and using sports to take the next step in it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really, um, it speaks to the value of sports to mainstream things. Uh, it's one of the few things that cuts across all socioeconomic groups, uh, all, all uh, race, gender. Uh, it, it's one of the few things left in the world, I think, that bring people together um, and, and can draw a mass audience. And I think to the extent you see crypto uh, and any any other sort of new technologies, investing in things like naming rights, especially, because that's really just about brand recognition um, and, uh, and certainly across uh, you know, sports inventory, like uh, on the umpires. I think if in the case of crypto, I think that's an entire industry seg- uh, that is trying to uh, become a part of mainstream culture, I guess, in a way that uh, uh, that esports has. And I mean, the the applications. I mean, crypto is a uh, is a part of the blockchain. Uh, as, and, and without getting into it too much, and uh, I, I think. Um, at this point, it's mainstream enough that a lot of people understand what that is, that it's, uh, it's, it's a public ledger that exists on the Internet, that's decentralized. There's a lot of really incredible applications to come, I think, in this next generation um, that blockchain will have from, uh, you know, even in our legal world, things like contracts, uh, anything that, that, that there's a ledger created for, uh, but uh, smart contracts, ways to automate um, measurables and payments and things like that. The crypto, I think, is uh, it sort of has a, 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 a legitimacy problem in a way, right? Like some people, including governments themselves, don't know what to make of, uh, of Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies. Is it something that's here to stay? Is it something that's legitimate? Uh, is it something that's going to displace, uh, you know, government-issued currencies? So I think using sport as a way to make people more comfortable with it conceptually is the idea. Um, what's amazing is how much money is already uh, in, in it uh, to, to be paying the, the amounts that they're paying to, to be going as, as visible as they are with arena naming rights. And um, yeah, that, that uh, not heretofore never been sold inventory on <laughs> the umpires themselves, which get so much camera time during baseball games. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting. So, Bobby, you have your pulse on the industry broadly defined. So, tell me where you think the industry is going in the next five to ten years. Uh, you know, what is what is what does someone focus on if they want to get ahead of the game? I think it all begins and ends with media for for sports properties. It's really the basis of uh, of growth for all of the major properties. It's the uh, it's the foundation uh, that all new sports properties try to build. And, 
it's also a, a, a medium that's been massively, massively disrupted by technology. Uh, and I think, I think where, where things are headed in that sense, or we're, we're seeing sort of the cracks in the traditional um, sports rights model, I think, no, no matter how lucrative it's been um, for professional sports leagues uh, to do deals with ESPN and, uh, and, uh, and, and CBS and NBC, I think it's starting to to become uh, a factor of how sports are consumed uh, and, and direct to consumer is a, is a buzzword. I think you hear a lot these days in the sports community and uh, and the leagues themselves, I think, are going to start st- selling their products, uh, their media uh, products uh, directly uh, to consumers and you know, through uh, through the Internet, through mobile, right? Through 5G technologies, it's uh, through apps. It's essentially um uh, I think the future, and it's a little bit scary. I think for sports properties too to to you know, leave the comfort of the of the big guarantee from from the big media companies, the legacy media companies. I don't think it happens overnight, but I think we're going to start seeing deals uh, uh, like kind of like the uh, uh, what, what what some of the leagues have been doing with some uh, on, as a sort of niche product, like with NBA League Pass and. Um, and NFL's deal with DirecTV that's now uh, now over and, and becoming a, 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 its own uh, you know, commodity in the marketplace. So I, I, I think that's that's a big factor. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think I also see innovation. I think in the game day experience, I think there's a lot of. Uh, it used to be uh, new new arenas were and stadiums were important for increased. Um, revenue and, and added revenue streams because of just things like uh, like suites and, uh, and and hospitality. But I think we're starting to see technology creep into arenas in a way that's creating uh, renovations or uh, new facilities as, as must-have, uh, not nice-to-have uh, assets for for these professional sports leagues and teams. Uh, because you're also, you know, competing against a lot of other entertainment products, and uh, at this point, and you got to give people unique experiences in order to get them um, to you. And it's, uh, it's, and you know, couple that with the other factor of the aging audience that that we touched on earlier, um, you're starting to see a lot of really interesting innovation and in technologies, um, especially with these these new buildings and facilities that are coming up. You can tell that every area impacts every other area. So for keeping sports leagues young, to keeping people entrepreneurially inclined, to generate more and more sponsorship and more and more equity assets, there is no better area than the sports world. Bobby Sharma has it covered. Let's talk about the Sports Tech Minute. Nationals partner with FIS for new champions club and payment solutions to enhance the fan experience. FIS announced that it's the newest partner of the Washington Nationals, the official payments technology partner for the Nationals. They'll provide best-in-class merchant processing technology to improve the ballpark experience. Partnership also includes a renovation of the ballpark's champions club, featuring an enhanced and elevated fan experience for Nationals fans. Uh, Upgraded decor, elevated food and beverage experience, gourmet food, and the like. The Commissioner's Trophy from the Nationals World Series win will be on display. 
But more important than anything, the technological solution is geared to upgrading the fan experience like never before. Look for more and more of that in the future. Finally, the Good Sports 5, as we get out of the pandemic, more and more focus on philanthropy. For example, the Braves and Major League Baseball honored former Hall of Famer and philanthropist Hank Aaron in front of the national television audience ahead of Game 3 of the World Series. Uh, The uh, number 44 cut into the center field grass at Truist Park, but it honors not only his legacy, but his philanthropy as well. Defending NBA champions Bucks on Friday opened one of the first chicken tender restaurants owned and operated by an NBA team. The team has committed to the cluckery hatched during the pandemic, stemming from the Bucks' desire to keep their Pfizer Forum workers employed. Not only were they employed, but they were also generating a substantial amount of money good for them during the pandemic. Lucio are letting their fans choose the color of their jersey sponsorships through a fan token vote. Socios has bought the front of shirt space advertisement, fan token Valencia on in Inter Milan kits. So they're generating new dollars. Much of those dollars go to charity. Steelers James Washington works to feed communities while keeping kids uh, healthy and also teaching them how to grow their own food. Washington recently conducted the first event with Grow Pittsburgh and spoke with CBS Sports about his new partnership. And finally, Glover Teixeira became the oldest first-time champion in UFC history at 42. He's been part of the UFC since 2012, where he made his debut following a decade's worth of fights prior, focusing on not only giving back, but also his future career in and out of the ring. Well, that's our show for the week. We'd like to thank Bobby Sharma and Foley for contributing some real knowledge in the area of esports, cryptocurrency, and the growing $1.3 trillion business of sports from the legal perspective and the deal-making perspective. I'd like to thank you all for helping put this together. And join us next week when we continue to go inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. Sports professor Rick Haro. Speak with you soon.